بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so today's lesson is on a short lecture given by Sheikh Ubaid hafizahullah al-hath ala siyami wa tilawati al-qur'ani which is the encouragement upon fasting and upon reciting the Quran and so the Shaykh Hafizullah after beginning Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in after praising Allah Azawajal the Lord of the worlds and sending salat and salam upon our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and upon his companions and his family uh, he begins by saying that Allah Azawajal has made lofty the mention of this month. لَقَدْ رَفَعَ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى ذِكْرَ هَذَا الشَّهْرُ الْقَادِمِ This coming month. شَهْرُ Ramadan, Which is the month of Ramadan. And Allah Azawajal has mentioned in his book وَذَكَرَ اللَّهُ فِي كِتَابِهِ مَا يَحُضُّ الْمُسْلِمِ What encourages a Muslim and which stirs him and moves him uh, to fast, to fast for him. Uh, seeking nearness to Allah Azawajal, طَلَبًا لِلْقُرْبَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى فَقَالَ So in this respect, Allah Azawajal, he mentioned in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 186, in this verse, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah he said, The month of Ramadan, the month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed as guidance, as guidance for mankind. And evidences, evidences pertaining to guidance, wal furqan, and the criterion. Right. So in this verse, there's there's many things in this verse to understand and to extract, because in this verse we have the mention of the month of Ramadan, we have the mention of the Quran being revealed, and then we have numerous other descriptions or qualities that, that have come in the Qur'an, right? which is huda, hudan linnas, guidance for mankind. And the mention of bayyinat, bayyinat, and the mention of furqan, furqan, which is criterion. So we want to just pause a little while here and reflect upon some of the things that can be taken from this verse uh, and Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah he has some very good commentary on this verse in his book An-Nubuwat uh, in this book Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah he is speaking of how do we prove the truthfulness of the messenger and the truthfulness of what he brought the Quran, right? What are the various ways, the sound ways, the correct ways, the authentic ways that we argue for the truthfulness of the messenger? This is what the book in general is, is, is in relation to. And he's uh, refuting, he's establishing the correct methods which have come in the Quran. And he's refuting the false methods that were used by the people of Kalam, the people of speculative you know, theology, the Ash'aris, Maturidis, the Mu'tazila, Jahmiya, people like that, right? So he's establishing uh, how is the right way, what is the correct way that we argue 
for the fact that the messenger is truthful and what, and what he brought is, is truthful. That's generally the topic of the book. But in this book, in the second volume, uh, he has a small discussion here on this particular verse, this specific verse. And regarding this verse, as we said, there's a number of things mentioned in this verse. Huda, guidance. Bayinat, which are evidences. And Furqan, which is a criterion. All these three things, they are, they are connected together. So first of all, what is, what is the definition of Huda? That when we say guidance, what do we mean guidance? So Britannia says, Rahimullah, well, Huda, Masdaru Hadahu, Huda. So basically, the, the, the noun, Al Huda, is uh, basically it's the Masdar, it's like a, a root or a source uh, of other derivations. And Al Huda is Huwa Bayanu Ma Yantafi'u Bihin Nas Wa Yahtajuna Ilayh. Right, Al-Huda, guidance is to explain what the people benefit from and what they are in need of, right? So when you, when you use the word guidance, Al-Huda, what does that actually mean, Al-Huda? To give someone Huda, to give someone guidance, it means to explain to them that which they benefit from and which they are in need of right to give an example say someone is you know extremely thirsty and you know he's he's possibly going to die of of you know lack of water um, dehydration and so you direct him to the nearest stream or if you have you know if you if you uh, don't have any water with you you can direct him where he can find the nearest uh, fresh water Right, so you explain to him, go this way, go that way, go that way, go this way. Right, so you've now given him guidance. You've given him guidance in relation to something that he w was actually going to benefit from and which he is actually in, in need of. Right, so this is guidance. And this is the opposite. It is the opposite of misguidance. Abdalala is is misguidance. Abdalal, misguidance is something that you don't benefit from. You don't benefit from. It might harm you, and you are not in need of it. Right? Abdalal, misguidance. That which is not benefit. That which you do not need. That which is harmful. And. You know, misguidance takes you away from the path or from, you know, what, 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 is, what, is, what is going to benefit you. So this is Al-Huda. Al-Huda. What is Abayyina? Because in the verse, Allah he mentioned, وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِنَ الْهُدَى بَيِّنَات Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Jami, he says, Al-Bayyinat جَمْعُ بَيِّنَا Right? So this is the plural of bayyina. bayyina. What does it mean bayyina? He says, وَهِيَ الْأَدِلَّةِ وَالْبَرَاهِينَ الَّتِي هِيَ بَيِّنَةٌ فِي نَفْسِهَا وَبِهَا يَتَبَيَّنُ غَيْرُهَا Right? So when we speak of a bayyina, a bayyina is something, an evidence, which is itself very apparent and very clear. Right, this is a bayina, something which is evident. In fact, the correct word would be self-evident. A bayina is a thing which is self-evident. It is evident itself, but it also makes that which is other than it to be evident as well. Right? So it's evidence which is clear, apparent, it's self-evident, and it also makes other things apparent as well. To give you like an illustration or a, an example, uh, you know, the fact that you, when you reflect upon yourself as, as an individual, uh, you know that, you know, 50 years, if someone's 
you know, uh, younger than 50 years or 60 or 70 or 80 years, you were not present. You weren't here. You were non-existent. Everybody knows that about himself. This is a bayina. This is a self-evident truth. It's self-evident, right? That you that you were not there and then you came to be. You were nothing. You know, ulam as occurs in the Quran, that man was was nothing, and then you came to be. So this is something which which is self-evident. Right? You don't need to be convinced about this. You don't need any kind of philosophical arguments to convince you of this. You don't need to be shown anything. You don't need any equations. You don't. There's nothing. It's a self-evident truth, right? And obviously, from that, that also makes other things evident as well. That you know that that you obviously uh, for you to to come about and through the means and mechanisms that you came about, which is you know reproduction and giving birth and so on and so forth, then clearly there is. Uh, you know, a creator and a maker who has put these things in place, right? So, so this is what we mean. Abayyina is something that is self-evident. And it also makes other things apparent and clear as well, right? So Ibn Timur says also, وَهِيَ الْأَدِلَّةِ وَالْبَرَاهِينَ الَّتِي هِيَ بَيِّنَةٌ فِي نَفْسِهَا وَبِهَا يَتَبَيَّنُ غَيْرُهَا يقال بين الأمر أي تبين في نفسه ويقال بين غيره. so فالبين اسم لما ظهر في نفسه ولما أظهر غيره. so this word again بين something which is بين is a noun that refers to whatever is self apparent. it's apparent itself. And what also makes other things apparent as well. Alright? So, this is the meaning of Al-Huda and also the meaning of Al-Bayyina. Now, all of this is, inshallah, is going to come together. So, Ibn Taymiyyah continues and he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his book, he made clear to them that which will guide them. Right? And... He guided them to the path. Alright, so explain to them that which they are in need of and the path by which they get to that which they are in need of. Right, because remember this is the meaning of Al-Huda. Al-Huda is that by which the people benefit and that which, you know, and which they are in need of. This is the meaning of guidance. So if Allah has revealed a book in which there is guidance, then clearly that, that book must also have within it bayinat, bayinat, right? Which means uh, things by which they are evidences and they are self-evident, they are very clear, they are very apparent. And so al-huda means that Allah has explained who is the one being worshipped and with what is he worshipped? Right? So that's the answer to the issue of guidance. Right? So remember we said at the beginning, Al-Huda is to explain what will benefit the people and what they are in need of. Right? So in the Quran, what, what is the Huda that the Quran has brought? It is to explain Bayanul Ma'bud. Right? To explain the deity. Who is the Lord? Who is the one to be worshipped? Right? And an explanation of that with which he is worshipped. How he is worshipped. Right? This has been made clear in the Quran. Right? And then the bayinat, the bayinat are the actual evidences for that. The actual evidences for that. Right? So in other words, the messenger of Allah when he came, as Ibn Taymi says, he says earlier on, that when the messenger of Allah when he came and he said, I am a messenger. I am a messenger. And it's impossible for Allah to send him 
without at the same time providing evidences that he is speaking the truth, right? Additional evidences. Otherwise, everybody can come along and say, I'm a messenger. Right? Everybody could say, I'm a messenger. Right? And so how would, we, how would we know between who is a true messenger and who is a false messenger? Because everybody could come and make that claim, as, as, as people do. There are false prophets. False prophets come along and they say, God told me, or God revealed to me this, or this message, or this, you know. Anyone can come and say that, and people have throughout history come and said that. However, as Imre Temi says, that it is impossible that Allah send a messenger and he's commanded the people to believe this messenger without there being things by which they know that this messenger is speaking the truth. Right? And so this is why what has come in the Quran of ayat, baraheen, bayinat, these are all Evidences the Quran has also come with these bayinat. These are evidences that Allah points to, right? He directs people's attention to the, to these signs, these self-evident signs about the messenger, right? That he that you know uh, he's he's not a magician, right? He's not a poet, right? And and um, he's not under the influence of magic, and that he is someone who is truthful, and that you. You know, there's many, many other things that 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 Allah Zajal is is directing and showing to prove the truthfulness of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. However, the point that we are making here is that in this verse that speaks of the month of Ramadan and which mentions the Quran being revealed therein, and which mentions that the Quran has come with Huda, Huda. And bayinat, and likewise Furqan, right? It has come with all of these things, and we have to understand like the wider context here, right? Because this Quran has come uh, to establish the truth and to falsify and to invalidate the falsehood, and we know that prior to Islam, there are you know, various uh, religions or altered religions of false religions that the people of the earth were upon, right? They were worshipping, uh, you know, through by way of these religions. So the Qur'an has come with guidance, with clear evidences, with criterion to establish the truth and to invalidate the falsehood, right? So, you know, in, in, in a very broad sense, I'll just mention a few things about each religion very, very quickly. So, for example, in no particular order, there's the Yahudi, Yahudiya, Judaism, right? And just on basic reflection, we know that the claim that there's, there's, uh, Allah has some special covenant uh, with a, a particular group of people who, who are chosen and, you know, he is only Lord to them and to, you know, this kind of notion or this idea that you are guaranteed salvation because of lineage or because of caste, we know we know this cannot be correct. We know this is not correct, right? And we know that they, they abandoned the true guidance and they opposed the prophets and they contended with the prophets. They killed some of the prophets and they distorted the book and did many, many other things, right? So we know that Yahudiya is, is not the true religion. Likewise, Nasraniya, Christianity, right? They deviated and they basically altered the religion and they claimed that the way to enter paradise is by a blood sacrifice. This is how you receive salvation. This is how you enter paradise. It's just accepting a blood sacrifice. Right? That's the only thing you have to believe that Isa he died for your sins. You just need to merely acknowledge that, that belief and that's it. You are guaranteed paradise. Right? This is... This, um, this cannot be correct either. This would be, you know... Um, uh, this is it's a bit like saying you know if you imagine you have uh, neighbors around you who are very nasty and they're doing many many evil things right then so, you, so, so then you decide okay well I'm going to kill my son let me kill my son and throw him under the bus and so now if you accept that my son died for your wrongdoings 
then I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you and overlook your sins. Like, how does this even make sense? Like, you, you would think that this is mockery. You know, if you, if you were to believe this in the example that I've just given you. Right? So how then would, would you believe the same thing about the creator of the heavens and the earth? That he's going to somehow allegedly kill a son that he doesn't have just to give, you know, show you mercy. It doesn't make it make sense. So, you know, this, this cannot be correct. This, this, this is batil. This, this is wrong. Right? And then, then you also have uh, the Magians. Right? The Majus. And the Magians are those who believe that there's a God of good and there's a God of evil. And basically the general idea is that God cannot do what is evil. Right? And obviously they have some philosophical misunderstandings here. So therefore there must be a God of evil, a God of darkness, right? which is making people do all the evil things in the, in, uh, you know, on earth, which the God of good has no control over. Right? So they have this idea of the God of light, the God of darkness, the God of good, the God of evil, and this duality. You know, and this is the majus, the, the fire worshippers. Right? So you know, they're obviously upon misguidance and deviation as well. And then you also have, uh, you know, the, the, the Far Eastern kind of spiritual, philosophical, like the Buddhists and the Jainists and these other types of religions. And the general idea, the general broad idea is that it's all about perfecting the self, whether through belief in a God or gods, or in the absence of belief in a God or gods. So it makes no difference, right? Because the key thing is, to refine the soul, to purify the soul, to refine the character. And so if you want to do it by way of idols, belief in idols, or if you want to do it by way of belief in a God, or if you want to do it through whatever means, it doesn't matter. You, you choose whatever idea that you want to use in order to reach like a, a spiritual kind of perfection. Right? And th th this is all false. They don't have a law and it opposes... Uh, you know, you, you know, these people went astray from the teachings of the messengers that were sent to them many, many, you know, long, long time ago. And then, obviously, after that, you have, like, broadly speaking, the the mushrikun, the pagans, the polytheists of the various types all across the across the world, who were present, the pagan Arabs in the time of the messenger of Allah, and then in all of the parts of the world, there were, you know, different types of pagans who uh, deviated, worshiping stars. Worshipping the moon, worshipping the sun, worshipping trees, worshipping idols, worshipping the jinn, worshipping the angels, making angels to be the daughters of Allah. And then, you know, uh, uh, giving created beings the, 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 the right and the qualities that belong only to Allah. And so from the categories of those polytheists, those mushriks and pagans in, in a modern sense, are the modern day atheists, right? Because they are a category of the the mushrikun, right? Because what they are doing is, uh, it's a bit like, um, you know, pantheism, pantheism. All that, all there is, is just everything is Allah, everything is the, you know, the, 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 the creator. Uh, there's no distinction between creator and the creator. There's only one existence. And so the atheists are kind of saying a similar thing really, but they're just disguising it with, with clever words, right? Because what they are saying is there's only matter and, the, the actual qualities that, that belong to Allah, you know, wisdom, knowledge, power, you know, will, intent, they are taking these qualities and they're just ascribing them to, to matter. That's what they're really doing in a, in a kind of a cryptic, you know, technical sense, right? That's what they're doing. Uh, so they commit shirk with Allah uh, because they ascribe to matter, you know, that which, which is ascribed only to Allah by way of actions and by way of qualities. So the point being, the point being, the Quran, the Quran has come amidst all of these creeds, amidst all of these false religions, amidst, amidst all of these altered religions, right? Because some of these religions were altered, right? The Yahud altered the religion of Musa Islam. The Christians altered the religion of Isa Islam, right? So there's altered religion, there's false religion. You know, there's polytheism, there's, there's all these different things. And so the Qur'an has come with Huda and with Bayyinat and with Furqan. With Furqan. And all of these three words, they have specific meanings and they all work together. Right? 
So the guidance is what al-huda in this verse is what al-huda is to explain bayanul ma'bud bayanul ma'bud wama yu'badu bihi right so this is the guidance that the Quran has come with right to inform all of these these groups these people pagan arabs and all the others to explain who is the lord that you should be worshiping who is the rabb who is the lord that you should be worshiping and what is the way to actually worship him right so this is addressed to the yahud to the nasara to the pagan arabs right to the dahriya to the you know those who believe that there's no resurrection and time just you know creation comes and goes and repeats and there's, there's no resurrection right uh, to all the different groups and factions it's telling them who is the ma'bud who is the ma'bud and what is the way to worship him right this is the correct religion this is this is your, uh, you know, this is what will benefit you. And this is what you are in need of, which is the definition of Al-Huda, to know these things. However, at the same time, it also mentioned Al-Bayyinat. Right, so Al-Bayyinat, which is to establish the actual evidences that this is indeed true. Right, to worship Allah alone. And to worship him, you know, in the way that he that that, that he revealed, and so as Ibn Taymiyyah says that this guidance, um, he says here, "فَلَيْسَ مَا يَخْبُرُ So he says that. That which Allah is informing, informing us with and commanding us of this guidance, it's not just speech that we are being given devoid of any evidence. Right? Why? Because we do not follow our religion out of taqlid or out of following conjecture. Right? This is what the other people did. That's what they fell into. Right? The Yahud, the Nasara. The polytheists, right? The Magians, the, the Mushrikun of various types, right? The Hariya, the, the philosophers, all those. What they fell into is either following speculation, itiba'udhan, following speculation, or they just fell into making taqlid of their forefathers, right? The Quran, when it has, when it, when it's come, it didn't come and just tell us, do this, and that's it, right? Which is just calling to pure taqlid. Right. Rather, by necessity, it came with al-bayyinat. It came with actual evidences to show that what we are following is true, is the truth. <coughs> right. So, uh, so he says that these are the Quran has come. بل هو مبين بالآيات البينات وهي الأدلة اليقينية والبراهين القطعية. So the Quran has come. Explained, indicating verses, signs, clear evidences, you know, evidences which bring you certainty and which are definitive. Right? So, in other words, the guidance that has come in the Quran is not a guidance that's telling us to follow out of just pure taqlid of the forefathers or just accept the, the words just like that. The Quran didn't come just like that, right? Nor is it, is, is it telling us to follow just conjecture and speculation, right? because that's what these other religions fell into or they use as, as a basis. It's taqlid or it's speculation, conjecture. The Quran brought actual evidences. And so here, this is where Ibn Taymiyyah, he mentions this particular verse shahru ramadan alladhi unzila fihi alquran hudan linnas wa bayyinat min alhuda wal furqan and then he explains he says that he revealed the quran as a guide to mankind and which brings evidences for that guidance and which brings a criterion a furqan right so he goes on to explain each of these once again. Um, guidance, huda, 
explains to us that which will benefit us and which we are in need of, which is the Tawheed of Allah and how to worship Him. The opposite of that is Dalal, is misguidance, right? Which is shirk and the worship of others. Then it brings bayinat, which are actual evidences of various types to show that this is true, right? To show that to single out Allah in worship, that this is the truth, this is justice, right? And then it also brings the Furqan. The Furqan. What is the Furqan? The Furqan is to show, to allow us to see, uh, to have a criterion to know the true evidences from the false evidences. Right? Because whenever you bring in evidence, the evidence is always going to have, someone's going to have like an objection. Someone's going to have, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or it's going to bring some sort of uh, misconception or shubha about, about the evidence that you are bringing. This is just the nature right, of evidences. So the Quran has also brought with it a furqan, meaning that it directs you and it shows you that by which you can know that this is a sound evidence, this is a false evidence. And that this is a sound evidence, and as for the objections to it, then these are the answers to all of these objections, right? To to establish that this is the correct and sound, you know, true sound evidence. So this is what the Quran has come with, right? Pay attention to, because this verse, like I said, uh, it mentions the revealing of the Quran in the month of Ram, Ramadan and what it brings and what it contains. It brings guidance. And it brings bayinat, so we follow on the basis of evidence. We are not blind followers, right? We, we're not f- blindly following anything. We are following on the basis of, of evidence. And the Furqan is then other things the Qur'an has come with by which we can know that this is a sound evidence and all of the objections and arguments brought against this evidence are in turn also refuted and addressed, right? And that this here is, is a false evidence, is a false argument, right? So for example, you know, uh, every type of false argument has been elucidated in the Qur'an. To give you one quick example, you know, Fir'aun, when he's arguing with Musa alayhi salam, and, you know, uh, he says, look, did, did I not raise you in my household? Like he's trying to use a favor that he gave to Musa salam as a means of denying the truth that Musa Islam is telling him. Right? So this establishes that this method or this technique of whereby someone's telling you the truth and you say, look, you know, did, didn't I give you this favor? Didn't I? It's like you could be uh, discussing with your parents who are non-Muslim and you teach them Tawheed. To worship Allah is the truth. And they say and, and they say to you, well, look, did I not raise you all my life? Did I, did I not work and, you know, s- sweat and, and tears to raise you? But this is not an argument. For you to use your, your favors that you have given to somebody else, that's not an argument. Right? That's a false argument. Right? So here, the, 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 this is a false argument that Allah has, has outlined. Likewise, Fir'aun also said, but you killed someone and we and we did you not kill someone? Meaning that we ought to have punished you for a wrong that you did. So how can you be right, you know, after we let you off? So this is now slightly different, right? One is using a favor that you gave to somebody, a benefit. Here now is basically um kind of uh giving them, you know, not punishing them for something that they actually did, right? This also is not a valid argument. This is not a valid argument to, to, to deny the truth. I'm, I'm just giving one or two quick examples, but there are so many other examples when you look at the dialogue between, for example, the prophets and the people to whom they were sent, and you look at the arguments they are using and the responses that Allah gives. Likewise, all of the similitudes which are given in the Qur'an, the mithal, the similitudes, right, of, of, you know, so many different things, you find within all of that a furqan, a criterion, right, that, 
that shows you what is a sound argument, what is a, a, a false argument. Right? So, Ibn Taymiyyah is saying here, Rahimullah, the Quran has been revealed as a guide. Right? This is Huda. With bayyinat. We are following this on the basis of evidence, not because of taqlid of our fathers, because of speculation, because of, you know, whatever it might be. And it also has within it a furqan, which is a criterion. Right? A criterion, uh, which basically, you know, it uh, explains the truth from falsehood, goodness from evil, what is true from what is a lie, what is commanded from what is prohibited, what is halal, what is haram. It outlines and separates all of these things and it gives us a criterion, right? Criterion in everything, right? Um, and so Ibn Taymi says that the dalil and evidence cannot be complete except when you are able to give an answer to every objection. And so the Quran came with that. The Quran came with the Furqan, the Furqan. Without the Furqan, without the criterion, then you can't really be upon uh, clarity. The Furqan distinguishes, it clarifies, right? It, 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 removes, it, it removes things which are ambiguous and makes clear the things which are, which are apparent and clear. So you cannot have, so, so look at the sequence. There's guidance. You can't really have true guidance except with evidence. And you can't really have sound solid evidence except with the furqan, the criterion by which you know that, this, that these evidences are actually true. This is what the Quran as a whole, what it has come with and what it has brought. And Ibn Taymiyyah, he gives a, finishes by giving like a basically a uh, a similitude and he says it's a bit like this imagine that um, you know imagine that you tell someone that if you want to do Hajj then the path to Mecca is this way right so first of all you tell him the goal right the, where, where he needs to be and then you tell him the actual signposts along the way Right, so those signposts, as he's on that path, he knows. Oh yes, this this is this is uh, this is like a bayina. This is like a something that tells me that I'm on the right path. So basically, uh, some mountains on this side, and then after you know uh, ten farsakh or whatever it might be, you know miles or whatever, on the right you will see uh, like an oasis, you know, with a whole load of you know uh, twelve trees or something. Then as you progress beyond that, you'll see like a street. So you're giving all of these. Uh, indications so that when that person is on that journey and he looks and he says oh yes that was the that was the thing that he told me that's on the path and yes that, that's correct and true I, I know I'm on the right path right so the bayinat these are like the evidences to show you that you are on the on the actual you know the right path and like the furqan would be you know just like some more extra details you know, that this oasis that you're going to go by, don't be deceived, you know, it's this, the oasis, the trees are on the right side, you know, there's uh, six trees on the right side of the oasis and whatever, and don't be confused by a, a smaller one that's somewhere else. Like, so now you know that you've been given the details by which to distinguish the, the right from the wrong. So in a like manner, what the Qur'an has come with, it's like this, right? It's given, it's brought huda to worship Allah alone, to avoid the worship of others besides him and to worship him through only what he commanded. This now is guidance. Right? And we upon this guidance, we follow it. But do we follow it just blindly? Because no. We follow it on account of actual evidences. Evidences. Bayinat, which the Quran has brought. Evidences for the justice of Tawheed, for the correctness of Tawheed, for the falsehood of shirk. For the falsehood of worshipping others besides Allah. Rational evidences. Intuitive evidences from the fitra. And, uh, the, the, there are in the Quran that shows that this is the right, the right path, the right way. And then also it has come with furqan, the criterion. right, To answer every objection, to every objection to the evidence. All of this has come together. And so 
there is a lot happening in, in, you know, in, in, in this verse. But the key thing is that in this verse, which makes mention of Ramadan, which makes mention of the revelation of the Quran as well, you know, all of the books, the revealed books, we see in some of the Athar that uh, the scrolls of Ibrahim salam were sent down on the third, after the third night of Ramadan. The Suhuf of Ibrahim salam. This is in Tafsir al-Baghawi and others. And the Torah of Musa salam was revealed on the sixth night of Ramadan. And the Injil of Isa salam on the 13th. And the uh, Zabur of Dawud al-Islam on the 18th. And as for the Quran, then it mentions, you know, obviously it's sometime in the, in the, the last 10 days, like the 24th, after the 24th or whatever. Right? So the, the books revealed by Allah Azawajal were revealed in this month. And, um, you know, after this, the Quran specifically, uh, there are many other descriptions of the Quran that we see. Inna ja'alnahu. Quranan Arabian la'allakum ta'akilun. Indeed, we have made the Quran to be an Arabic Quran in order that you may understand. So the Quran has been made an Arabic Quran. In order that you may understand. And it shows the importance of the, of the Arabic language and understanding and learning the Arabic language. Uh, because the Arabic language is, is a unique language. And uh, as the verse says, In order that you, you may understand. So this is a, that's a whole topic in itself. Also the Quran, no falsehood. Can approach it. No falsehood can approach it neither from behind nor from, nor from in front. And the Quran uh, refutes every type of falsehood, every type of similitude. They do not come to you with any kind of uh, similitude or argument except that we bring the truth and the better explanation thereof. And the Quran is light which by which Allah guides whom He wills. We have made it to be a light with which we guide whomever we will from our servants. Also, it's being described as a maw'idha, an admonition, and a shifa, a healing. As Allah says, in the Quran, قَدْ جَاءَتْكُمْ مَوْئِذَةٌ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ وَشِفَاءٌ لِمَا فِي الصُّدُورِ There has come to you an admonition from your Lord and a healing 
for that or a cure for that which is in the chests. And similarly, the jinn, when they heard the Quran, they said, فَقَالُوا إِنَّا سَمِعْنَا قُرْآنًا عَجَبًا Indeed, we have heard a wonderful Quran or an amazing Quran. Uh, the Quran is also preserved. Indeed, we have sent down the remembrance and we shall indeed preserve it. And also it is a Quran which is inimicable. It cannot be, cannot be reproduced. And that's why in the Quran, Allah challenges uh, the jinn and the men that if all of the men and the jinn were to gather together to bring the likes of this, this Quran, uh, they would not be able to bring la yatuna bi mithli you know its likes. So the point being from all of this is there are obviously many many other descriptions uh, of the Quran uh, which we find that the Quran itself uh, describes. But that verse is, is very very important to 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 grasp what's what's happening in that verse and what is the meaning of huda, what is the meaning of bayina. What is the meaning of Furqan? And all of that works together to, to show that the Qur'an isn't just a book that tells you and calls you and invites you without evidences and without you know, cri- criterion. After this, so that was just like reflecting upon the verse itself. Uh, Sheikh Ubaid, he says <coughs> that there are two virtues which are mentioned here in this verse. <coughs> the first virtue is that it gives nobility to this month. Tashrif hadha shahar wa Which is to explain the virtue of this month and its excellence. And that is because he mentioned that in this month, the best book was revealed upon the best messenger, the best prophet, which is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? So this is explaining the excellence of this month from this angle. By mention of the Quran revealed upon the best messenger specifically in this month. And the second thing which is uh, mentioned here, which he which is indicated by this, is the recitation of the Quran in this month. Right, which a person should uh, maintain and that a person should observe. And uh, from these two angles, this verse is a tashrif. Of this month from one angle, وَحَدٌ عَلَى تَعَاهُدِ الْقُرْآنِ وَالْمُدَاوَمَةِ عَلَى تِلَاوَتِهِ مِنْ وَجْنِ آخر. So basically the two things that we take from this verse. The first of all is the virtue and the excellence of the month of Ramadan. <coughs> and the second is that it's an encouragement for us to recite and read uh, the Qur'an. Sheikh mentions the hadith of the Messenger of Allah <coughs> that the Messenger of Allah was the most generous of people. <coughs> and he was the most generous in Ramadan when Jibreel al-Islam used to come and meet him. And he would meet him on every night of Ramadan and he would revise the Quran with him. And the Messenger of Allah he was more generous with, with you know, goodness and good deeds, than a wind that has been sent. You know, like a beneficial wind that comes and it brings with it, like maybe the rain and other things, and you know, it brings a barakah and benefit. Well, the messenger was was more generous, you know, in in the month of Ramadan. And after mentioning that hadith, Sheikh Ubaid explains <clears throat> that there are three things which are obligatory in relation to the Qur'an, in light of this verse, and which a Muslim should gather all of these three things together. Right? So these are the practical benefits we are taking from this verse <coughs> in relation to Ramadan. Al-awwal, he says, At-ta'abbudu lillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala bitalawati hadal Qur'an. The first is to worship Allah through the recitation of this Qur'an. So the mere recitation itself is ibadah of Allah Azawajal. And he should do this that he should make this recitation sincerely for the sake of Allah. So when you recite, <coughs> it is to please Allah. It is not to 
<coughs> not for show. And, um, you know, to expect reward from, from, from Allah. And then he mentions the hadith, مَنْ قَرَأَ حَرْفًا مِنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ فَلَهُ بِهِ حَسَنَةٌ وَالْحَسَنَةُ بِأَشْرِ أَمْذَالِهَا لَا أَقُولُ أَلِفْ لَا مِيمْ حَرْفٌ وَلَكِنْ أَلِفٌ حَرْفٌ وَلَامٌ حَرْفٌ وَمِيمٌ حَرْفٌ Whoever recites a word or a harf from the book of Allah, then he will have a good reward of a good deed. And a good deed it has ten of its likes. I do not say that harf, alif, lam, meem together is a harf, but alif on its own is a harf, and meem on its own is a harf, and lam on its own is a harf, and meem on its own is a harf. So the Sheikh says, therefore, O Muslims, this is thalathuna hasana. Here, just by saying alif, lam, meem, you have 30 good deeds. Just by saying alif, lam, meem. And so every time a Muslim <coughs> reads something from the verses of this book and from its chapters, then the individual letters that he reads, the reward for them is with Allah Azawajal. So long as he is sincere and anticipating this reward from Allah and doing this sincerely, you know, this, this recitation. So this is the first thing he should be doing. Reciting the book of Allah expecting reward from Allah, doing it sincerely and for no other reason. Not to show anybody that I finished one Qur'an, I finished two Qur'ans in Ramadan, I did this. No, you are reading it as an act of ibadah. Reciting the Qur'an is an, in, is an actual act of worship. And every act of worship requires ikhlas, requires sincerity. This is the first affair. The second affair is, what is it on top of recitation that then leads you to action and that is at-tadabbur at-tadabbur right this is reflection upon the quran so the shaykh says athani ma yusilu ila al-amal bihadha al-quran ala al-wajh as-sahih as-salim fi'lan lil-awamir wa tarkan lil-nawahi wa tasdiqan lil-akhbar wa hadha huwa at-tadabbur tadabbur al-quran so the second thing which is obligatory is that which leads you to act upon the Qur'an in the right way, right? So you do that which he commanded, you keep away from that which he prohibited, and you accept and believe whatever you are informed of in the Qur'an, right? So to the Qur'an, there are three ways that you respond. You believe whatever akhbar, whatever information or reports it has brought to you about Allah, about the hereafter, about paradise, about hellfire, about nations of the past, right? These are, these are akhbar. So you believe them as true. As for the commands, you act upon them. As for the prohibitions, you keep away from them, right? But what leads you to do that? It is tadabbur. It is reflection upon the verses of the Qur'an. So the Sheikh says, for al Muslim, hina yatadabbar al-Qur'an fayaqifu inda wa'dihi so he says a Muslim when he reflects upon the Quran he will stop and whenever Allah mentions a promise he will reflect upon this promise and whenever Allah makes a threat he will stop and he will reflect upon this threat. And whenever Allah makes a command, he will stop and he will reflect upon this command. Likewise with the prohibition. Likewise with any information that Allah has you know, mentioned in the Quran. He will reflect, about, reflect upon all of these things so that his heart now, you know, it increases in understanding. And uh, all of this by way of reflection you know, there's, there's understanding, there's faham, and this is what will eventually lead him and drive him to, to action, which is the third point. So here the Shaykh mentions the Quran, afala, uh, the verse in the Quran, Afala al-Quran, Do they not carefully consider and reflect upon the Quran? Or are there locks upon their hearts? Surah Muhammad. Right? So this 
is like a, a question by which rejection is intended. How can they listen to and pass by what Allah has revealed in this noble book and they hear it and, you know, without really looking into it, reflecting upon it, right? So this is what is requested from this book. It is a tadabbur. This tadabbur, when a person reflects, it leads you to action. It leads you to sincerity. It leads you to follow the messenger of Allah in statements and in actions. And this is why Allah praised those people who, when they hear the Quran, their hearts tremble and you know they are they are increased in their iman. For example, Allah He says, Indeed, they are the believers who when Allah Allah is mentioned, their hearts wajilat, right? They 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 they, they have a fear and awe. Right? And likewise he said, imana." When his verses are recited upon them, it increases them in Iman. It increases a person in faith when he listens and you know to, to the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because he, he understands what these verses contain. So this now is the second obligation. The first obligation is to actually read as an act of worship. The second obligation is to make tadabbur, to actually reflect upon what you are reading. Upon Allah's promise, upon Allah's threat, upon Allah's command, upon Allah's prohibition, and upon whatever Allah informs us of, any any khabar. And the third obligation, obviously, is al-amal, al-amal bil-Qur'an. And the evidence for this is the statement of the Messenger of Allah, wal-Qur'an hujjatun lak aw alik. The Qur'an is a hujjah for you in your favor or against you so the shaykh goes on to say whoever recites the quran and you know um, it will guide him to that which is most upright that which is the safest and uh, his hujjah his argument or something that will come in support of him on the day of judgment will be the quran but as for the one who recites the quran and turns away from the quran he doesn't listen to the Qur'an or his, or his heart is kind of not really paying attention and he doesn't give any concern to what is mentioned therein of Allah's promise, Allah's threat, Allah's command, Allah's prohibition, Allah's the information he brings, then the Qur'an will be a hujjah against that person on the Day of Judgment. And so we have in the hadith of An-Nawas bin Sam'an radiallahu anhu from the Prophet who said, the Qur'an will be brought on the Day of Judgment. And likewise, The Qur'an will be brought on the Day of Judgment and the people of the Qur'an who used to act by it. They will be brought. And in front of them, ahead of them, will be uh, Surah Al-Baqarah wa Alu Imran. Uh, these two surahs, they will be ahead of the people of the Qur'an who used to act upon the Qur'an on the day of judgment. Obviously, we don't know how the reality of that, but this is from the affairs of the hereafter. And then, the narrator, An-Nawaz bin Sam'an, he says, As if they are like two clouds. As if they are like two clouds. Or he says, or he says, oh, they're basically like two uh, like shades that grant shade to, to, to the people. Or, كَأَنَّهُمَا هِزْغَانِ مِنْ طَيْرٍ تُحَاجَّانِ عَنْ سَاهِرِهِمَا Or they are like two flocks of birds which are pleading for their, like arguing in favor of their companions, meaning the people of the Qur'an. Right? So these are three similitudes which have been given for Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran which will come on the Day of Judgment along with the people of the Qur'an who used to recite the Qur'an and act upon it. Right? They will either, as you can see from, from the Hadith, it is either they will offer shade or protection right, for, for the people of the Qur'an 
or they will intercede, as we see in other hadiths. There are numerous other hadiths that you know the Quran will intercede on the day of judgment, right? And um, so this is the benefit of the people uh, who act upon the Quran. Uh, the Quran will be a hujja for them on Yawmul Qiyamah and there are numerous texts in this regard. Finally, the Shaykh finishes and says that from this, from, from this hadith and the, the previous hadith, these two, hadith, two hadiths, uh, the people who recite the Quran are therefore of two types. The first type are those who actually benefit from the Quran. They turn to the Quran, they benefit and they expect their reward you know, for reciting it from Allah. And they seek nearness to Allah. And, you know, this is the person for whom the Quran is going to be a hujjah and a shafi'ah, an interceder on the day of judgment. And the second is the one who is man huwa lahin, sahin, the one who is basically, he's neglectful and he's preoccupied. He just, you know, uh, his heart's not really, uh, he just repeats the Quran, uh, without really reflecting uh, something that's just habitual, maybe because that's what the family do, or because he's been told to do it, and his heart's not really engaging with the Qur'an. It's not reflecting upon the meaning of what he's saying. And he's not taking an admonition from, from what he's reading. right? And nor does that draw him to, even, to, to act upon the Qur'an. This is the person who will not benefit from the Qur'an. And in the life of this world, and in the hereafter, the Qur'an will be a hujjah, against him on the day of judgment right so this is what the sheikh uh, concludes with he comes to an end and he concludes with that so in essence then just to summarize this kind of very brief short uh, lesson here uh, in this verse that we mentioned in surah al-baqarah uh, which mentions that the quran was revealed in the month of ramadan uh, it contains guidance and bayinat clear evidences and the Furqan, the criterion. Uh, in this verse are two points. The first is to mention the excellence of the month of Ramadan because the Quran was revealed in it, the best of the books of Allah and revealed upon the best of the messengers of Allah. So this is tashrif and tafdil. This is a, a virtue and an excellence for this month. And secondly, it contains you know, an ins- it, it, it leads you to, to recite the Qur'an and it commends you to recite the Qur'an in this month uh, because of the, of the virtue and the excellence of the reward for all of that. And then there are three aspects to this. The first is to recite the Qur'an as actual worship of Allah with sincerity. The second is to do so with actual reflection. And with reflection, this means that you go and you look at the, the tafsir of the Qur'an you aid your understanding by going to, for example, some of the easy tafsirs of the Quran, tafsir al-Sa'di, tafsir al-Baghawi, and things like that, uh, you know, which, which uh, explain the Quran in a concise uh, way and the meanings, so you understand what you're reciting. And this reflection, tadabbur, uh, which you make, it, you gain understanding of the book, and that understanding then leads you to act upon the book itself. And so acting upon the book uh, is that which is going to be a proof against you on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And the Shaykh mentioned a number of hadith in that respect. And so with that, inshallah, we'll conclude our lesson uh, there for today. It's a short, brief reminder about the excellence of the Qur'an, the excellence of the month of Ramadan, and what this Qur'an has come with. The Qur'an came to establish the true religion, Deenul Haq, the true religion, and uh, it you know, came with guidance, it came with clear evidences, it came with the Furqan. It is not just, like we said, uh, we are not blind followers of forefathers, nor are we followers of conjecture. What we believe in of the Tawheed of Allah and the books of Allah and Messenger of Allah, we do so on the basis of actual evidence. Right? This evidence, the Quran brought that evidence alongside the guidance. And not only that, this Qur'an also contains the criterion, the Furqan, by which we know a truth from falsehood, a sound argument from false argument, a true evidence from a false evidence. All of that is in the Qur'an. And so whoever recites the Qur'an, gives attention to the Qur'an, reflects upon the Qur'an, studies the Qur'an, he is the one who will be given 
that you know that treasure and that benefit that understanding and he will be of the people of the Quran as mentioned in that hadith where the Quran will be a hujja for him and the Quran will intercede for him and the, the, the surahs of the Quran will be like a shade for him right so these are the things inshallah ta'ala we are seeking uh, in the month in the month of Ramadan uh, to keep away from all of the preoccupations and to focus and to reflect upon the Quran and uh, you know the, the 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 guidance which it brought inshallah ta'ala with his with his tawfiq so with that we'll conclude our lesson there for today walhamdulillah rabbil alamin wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in